It's Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and joining me, I've got Jake, I've got Myros, and I've got Jack Eason, who needs to account for his homeland because apparently Ireland has a higher rate of COVID than the U.S. What the hell's going on, man? A higher rate of infection, I believe, right now. So, yeah, you know, number one, Celtic Tiger resurgence, everything, Mm. you know, it's all about being number one in in every category. That's what winners want to do, Steve. In rugby and an infectious disease, you guys are the best of the best. The 100%. only two places where it counts. I can't so think of anything else I'd want to be number one. Just the tiger playing on every single PA in the country as we all just hack our lungs up. <laughs> I think uh, Van Morrison was going to write a song about uh, Ireland. He's going to call it Ravon Coronavirus. Ravon, thy holy disease. <laughs> Wait, who did who did he collaborate with on his on his anti COVID song again? Oh, fu- fuck, who was that? I, I you know I I was, was just it Eric saying, Clapton. I, I think it was Clapton. Could have been Clapton. <laughs> I think it was Clapton. Yeah, it's Clapton. Which it's like, yeah, from the guy that brought you screaming the N word on stage in 1977 comes <laughs> COVID Christ. isn't real. The song. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that's that's a good clip. Go Google that one. That's that's fun. You can play that one for your parents. Uh, hey guys, we've been we've been watching a lot of porn lately, haven't we? Maybe, sort of. <laughs> Is has anything we've watched really been pornography in in the traditional sense? I feel like we're watching porn, but without the just even vague sense of entertainment that would normally accompany that. Is this yeah. like the porn watching of an addict, you know, addict who's just like got nothing else to do, and they're just it's just empty gesture at this point. <laughs> yeah this this has been an odd one because. I don't know. Like some of this stuff probably isn't porn. It's just takes on the facade of pornography. But I don't think anything we've watched has been particularly erotic or I don't even sexual in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, I didn't join you guys for episode one, but I could safely say that this uh, slate includes two of the least erotic films I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> mm. Have you seen Final Flesh? Yeah. I've seen it, certainly. Steve, it's Final Flesh is more erotic than two of these films. Okay, well, I don't know what just happened. Myros, cut that out. This is great content. Me just dead silent for fucking who knows how long. You know, he he just came in his pants thinking about (laughs) fucking Liberty. (laughs) Well, now we have to leave this in. (laughs) Steve, are you trying to record one-handed again? Uh. (laughs) Yeah, you can't use the sound mixer with, uh, with one hand, buddy. Oh man. It's just it's caked on. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking, you know, one thing we haven't watched yet is we haven't watched a single movie uh where puppets fuck. So uh, you know, I I figured we'd watch Let My Puppets Come, right? I was about to ask you for your favorite brand of feminine hygiene spray. Oh, I always use new sweetfish. Why sweetfish, Miss Coos? Well, us models. Under the hot lights and all, our cunts can get pretty skunky. And if it isn't fresh, I'm out of business. Isn't that sweet, you little money maker, you? Use new sweet fish 
Myros, which Muppet would you rather Jesus get Christ. domed from, Dr. Teeth or Rolf? Uh, I mean, probably Rolf, right? Yeah. <laughs> what with the teeth and what? Dr. Teeth yeah, implies I mean. a world of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Straight in the but name. on the other hand, Myros would be fucking a dog. So, I mean, at least Doc, at least Dr. Teeth, like, I mean, he's he's got he's got a whole band and they're all like pseudo human Muppets, right? You got your know. animal Muppets and you've got your non-animal Muppets. Is animal a pseudo human Muppet? Yeah, what's animal? I think so. He's like a caveman. Uh, he's got he's he's more he's humanoid. He's humanoid. It's not like he's he's not like Sam the Eagle or Rizzo the Rat, <laughs> Rolf the Dog, Big Bird. Come on, come a, on. These are all different things. Yeah, Jack's right. He's just a drummer. Uh, anyways, so <laughs> this is entirely Jack's fault. Okay. This, uh, this, <laughs> so I do not accept that. <laughs> so Vinegar Syndrome was having their like Black Friday sale and Jack was just like, hey, has anybody seen this? There's only a few copies left of the special edition. And he's like, I, I think I'm going to get it. And then I said, oh, well, if you're going to get it, I guess I'll get it. And Jake was like, well, I guess I'll get it too. And I was like, well, I guess we're doing a, a sexy puppet podcast. And here we are. So Jack, what do you have to say for yourself? Uh, if I'd if I'd known then what I know now, I probably would have still done the same thing. Cause it's <laughs> wired that way. I don't know why. This is um, man. Like just saying, this is like puppet porn. Just doesn't even capture how. Just this movie isn't funny. <laughs> it's not sexy. I. It's a really weird artifact of the nineteen seventies. Uh, made, of course, by, uh, what's his first name, Damiano, Gerard Damiano, if I got that right or something, but the guy who made Yeah, Gerard, Gerard Damiano. Yeah, and so he's so best known for Deep Throat, and he did Devil and Miss Jones as well. He's, you know, he's a, he was a, the, the, like, A-grade pornographer of the era, so I guess he could do whatever he wanted, and he decided this was a valid expression, uh, and I guess it's supposed to be a comedy and it's supposed to be a critique of the porn industry or a satire send-up of the porn industry, like it's a porno, but, you know, cuts out all the things a porno would normally have. Uh, it just feels like a really dated, insane TV special. Uh, it's mm. musical, too. Do we mention their songs? There's a lot yeah. of songs. Uh, oh, so well, many it's, songs. It's based on a musical. Yeah, it's it's based on an actual musical, so... Uh, you know, the guy who directed Deep Throat said, wow, this is great. I love off-Broadway productions. Why don't I turn this into a movie? And then and, and Let My Puppets Come was was born. Yeah, I, I do wonder, like, what's it? Because I've never seen Avenue Q, and I thought Avenue Q was like the porny pop-up thing. But obviously that was like 20 or 30 years off off the pace because this thing existed. Um, yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is rewritten my timeline. I mean, I thought like Meet the Feebles and Avenue Q were like, you know, the the origins of regular pervy puppet stuff but this is like way before that and worse than both of them probably yeah well it's telling too that that you know probably for 15 years no one did anything like this because they were like okay this is we're, we're good for a while um <laughs> yeah i i don't know this it's kind of a head scratcher because let my puppets come it thinks it's funny it isn't I think sometimes it actually thinks it's erotic in a way, and it, it, I don't know if it's really that or anything. Um, it might think it's satire, but it's definitely not. It's definitely or, pitching for satire, definitely. 
it's it wants to be a lot of things it thinks it's a lot of things it's it's like you know when you when you see a little kid and he's like i want to be a fireman and an astronaut it's like well you know what you gotta you gotta limp and you wear coke bottle glasses i don't think they're gonna let you into either of those professions so and that's kind of where we're at here with let my puppets come there's not a lot going on in the positive category even just the opening credits are exhausting because the opening oh, you mean the high li- point of the movie yeah yeah <laughs> effectively i was about to say like it's kind of bright and animated and it's got this catchy song playing over and it's sort of like okay you know fun it's like and it mm-hmm. really feels like kind of an intro to a uh you know kind of variety tv show but it's got all the credits and introduces all the puppets you are going to meet and every single one of them has just an absolute like degrade sex pun name and by the end yeah. of it you're just like oh god this is just but terrible and that's when they break into song and then immediately from that, move straight into uh, puppet bestiality. And it's kind of <laughs> like... It really is a thrill a minute, because that opening song, it's like shitty Frank Sinatra. And then, yeah, they introduce all the puppets by name, but not like the names of the people that are actually like doing the, the puppetry, but the, the sexy names of the puppets. So it's just like, and introducing Clitoris Leechman, and, you know, whatever. Uh uh, yeah, and then as soon as things really get going, the first sex scene we see is a uh, it's a horny lady puppet, and she fucks a dog. So really, it's it, that's kind of the pace car here. If, if this was a a NASCAR race in film in four, movies, that, yeah, in the movie's defense, at least it's a t- it's a talking dog. So at least you know it's, that makes it feel like a Rolf. Bit more, oh, okay, yeah, it, just like yeah, yeah, it would be worse if the dog didn't talk. I feel like. I agree. It would be better if the whole movie didn't talk and just kind of shuffled on out the door, but that wasn't. Well, and, you know, like, you probably shouldn't have sex with a dog, but at the same time, he was pretty convincing because, you know, she's like, oh, no, there's no one to bang me. And he was just like, well, I can bang you. I'm a dog and I'm ready to bang. And, you know, and then and she, he, she had to be convinced. It, it took him like all of 15 seconds of talking to her before we were gifted the visual of a little puppeteer red rocket entering into oh. a puppet vagina. God damn it. What we all love to see. <laughs> God in heaven. There you go. That's sets a tone. This is the worst. This is the worst thing we've ever watched for anything ever. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, here's a phrase I don't want to say. In defense of "Let My Puppets Come," you can't. I mean, there's no way. There's no way I, you could maybe defend the opening I, song. I disagree. That fucking sucks too. I just I kept waiting for something to happen. Like I really thought it was going to go somewhere for the longest time, and then it just kept not going anywhere. <laughs> it's worth. I mean, it does have a plot. I mean, and it's like loosely in part of its satirical bent. It's like yeah, it's this creative advertising agency in Manhattan. Uh, they owe money to a mobster, and they need to earn a million dollars overnight. And then just some dude who just walks in, who like the film starts with him. Like the film opens after the end opening credits with this one puppet and I cannot just impress how just bad the puppets are like they just look like just they're not well built puppets they're not endearing or interesting at all and he's he's ordering a hot dog with Damiano at a hot dog stand in New York and he's like walking down the street in really awkward fashion because he's a puppet and he just kind of wanders in we don't know if he knows these 
advertising execs. It's never really clarified. But he's anyway, just, tells he's him just that delivering anyone... a telegram and he's just hanging out while their yeah. company's going down. He's like, oh, hey, why don't you just make a porno? That's where all the money is. And then that's right. 70 minutes of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'd already forgot. You see how exhausting it is? I'd forgotten the telegram thing. You know, I got to give credit where, where credit's due. That's, you know, that's technically writing. So, yeah, he tells him all the money. You know, for for a failing advertising industry, you know, the, all the money is in fuck films and you can make one overnight easy, which, of course, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously Deep Throat had all kinds of like run ins with the mafia um, and there were, you know, the pornography industry was in the 70s was heavily uh, inflected with mob interference and straight up. I mean, the industries, I think, probably had heavy overlaps in funds and entities. Whether that counts as satire in this context, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if he was poking fun at anyone. I mean, and, and we're keeping with the, the the humor, the levels of humor on this film, just like clitoris leechman. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Big is the gangster. And guess what? It turns out he's not big at all. He's he's a little small man. He and is. Do you know who he is? Huh. It's, uh, it's, it's Ralphus from Bloodsucking Freaks, which is another <laughs> uh, a classic... Classic 1970s movie. Although, I think he made Bloodsucking Freaks in, like, was that, like, 77, 78? Maybe 76? I don't know. It was a little bit later in the 70s. So, I'm guessing it was... They probably knew him from his pornography work. And you know what? I just hopped on his IMDb page, and it looks like uh, he really became famous in New York in 1971 after he did a charming little film called The Anal Dwarf in 1971. Uh, you seen that one, Jake? Uh, no, I must have missed it. Um, you know, I only seen. I only like my dwarfs uh, sinful. Sinful, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if that one didn't make it onto the Blu-ray as a supplement. That's that's a shame. <laughs> An oversight. I know this feels like a fucking matter of time. Oh, Q vinegar syndrome putting out the anal dwarf, and now I have to fucking watch <laughs> this goddamn podcast. I mean, this this seems fun on paper, like, and even yeah. you know. Like, I mean, I've seen Meet the Feebles and well, the yeah, Joe Yeah, we were all excited thing. to fucking buy a blind copy from Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> 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 to be fair, resale on this should be easy. It should be easy to offload if we need to. Just let that special edition run out. Look, I'm 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 making you guys money here. Yeah. So you know, Meet the Yeah, Meet the Feebles like runs thin in like I it's been years since I've seen it, but I remember after like thirty minutes or so, it was like, okay, I get it. The puppets are naughty whatever and um, mm. this one it's even worse because because it, it's just first i guess because the puppeteering is just really bad and one of the things that was really funny to me is that just last month just on a week because i was stuck out of my house for a while i was staring at an air staying in an airbnb and there's a netflix and i didn't really feel like watching anything too involving so one of the one of the picks i made was a, a kind of very very mediocre documentary i think called like being elmo right and it was all about the guy <laughs> who uh, developed the character of Elmo and he's a very talented puppeteer and his life was dedicated to puppeteering he loved it from a very early age and he came to go to New York and met up with Jim Henson and Frank Oz and except and it's a very heartwarming story and the guy is clearly you know a really gifted puppeteer and then anyway it's a very lightweight documentary and very kind of like happy-go-lucky feel-good documentary but invariably the man does talk about you know what constitutes good puppeteering and what a puppeteer should aspire to. So with even that in my mind, watching this, 
I, you know, I don't hold against the puppeteers. I'm sure they couldn't afford great puppeteers, but the whole thing is just very clunky. The puppets are not very, you know, they don't really have any significant, you know, qualities of human qualities. There's one or two that are noticeably better handled than the rest. I felt like in Geppetto, the, the, who becomes the director after the sadomasochist guy leaves Lash or whatever. I don't really, I wasn't following. <laughs> it also uh, noticeably uses, has human hands instead of just puppet on stick hands. Oh, that's really and, creepy. Yeah. There, so there, there's a few points where the puppeteering looks a little bit better, but like generally speaking, it's mostly just people just kind of like puppets just juddering around. They're very clear like you, I mean, it's fine you can see the sticks for it, but like you can see their joints, you can see wire in a couple of shots, you can see the puppeteer. The whole thing is like it's not even endearing on that on a technical level, let alone the humor. Jack, no, this is just like Elmo because Elmo got me tooed, didn't he? Yeah, I think the so. Guy, the guy yeah, who plays true. <laughs> I think he Kevin did. Clash got yeah. He knows he knows all about it, man. They fit, fit right in with these guys. Yeah, they they left that out of the documentary. <laughs> see, <laughs> Shockingly, a problem I have with this, and you know, one of one thousand problems I have with this fucking thing is th- it does like what's the point of this even having puppets in it? The, there's no fantastical elements to the fucking proceedings. They're all just puppets of people. It, it's just such yeah. a superfluous thing. And uh, I mean, you can't afford to do it. You can't do it right. You're not uh, really adding to the outlandish cartoonish nature of this because you don't have anything except for humanoid puppets. So what the fuck's the point? I think the idea is a satire of the, the idea that Damiano has the pull to make a film like this. And I guess there's kind of an element of, you know, who else could make this movie? but a guy who is disestablished within pornography. You know, yeah. at a time when pornography was, like, shifting into the mainstream and legitimacy and even, you know, popularity, open popularity and publicity, that he would make this film. And I get maybe he thought it would, you know, actually, like, cross over and be successful. But, like, for, you know, it's it's bizarre to watch a movie that feels like it was written by a sniggering eight-year-old but clearly could never be shown to children anywhere. I, you know, there's no market for this. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know. The puppets are kind of necessary because, in my experience, you can't really film a woman having sex with a dog without getting into at least a little bit of trouble. So, Steve, it was the seventies. You you actually yeah, chose. Yeah, I'm pretty you sure probably that could back then. <laughs> this is so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a part of me wants to think that this is just sort of aping off of like the Muppets. I don't know how what the Muppets craze was like before because this predates the first Muppet movie. So maybe mm-hmm. Damiano thought, oh, well, you know, we'll just have puppets, but they're fucking and singing instead of just singing and going on normal adventures. But there's also like a an air of desperation that pops up halfway through this film because we've only seen puppets having sex up until this certain point where Damiano realizes, oh, this is not going to be bankable at all. So then he starts having uh, actual human women take their clothes off and get like have oral sex from puppets. So then we get like two naked women amongst a, just a sea of felt. Yeah. That stuff's the weirdest. I don't Yeah, that fucking bar scene. I'm like, what in the yeah. fuck? Yeah, the are bar we scene doing? that just has a, like a a go-go dancer behind the bar just shaking her boobs at puppets and then banging a puppet and I don't know, man. At least we get an all-star cast though. I mean, you know, we we get we get the the guy from Bloodsucking Freaks, which is pretty cool, um, slash the anal dwarf. Al Goldstein's in it. 
that's something, you know, the guy that made Screw Magazine, which I guess in the pornographic magazine hierarchy, you got your Playboy, you got your Penthouse, you got your Hustler, and then you got like 27 other things, and then you got Screw Magazine. <laughs> the whole thing, I mean, I, the, the only real value I can I can just kind of take from this is, yeah, it's kind of like things like Al Goldstein's presence. It's this kind of weird cultural snapshot and it's a kind of like you know we talk about you know you can talk about how wild 42nd street was how wild grindhouse theaters were and the weird film programming and the collapse of the production code and the splintering of the studios and the film industry in america that wound around to you know new modes of production trying out new voices pornography going semi-mainstream things like that and it's kind of like well, you know, what does all that mean? And one of the things apparently it means is that this movie happened. And with, you know, I mean, I so there's kind of an interest in observing that fact. But it is certainly, I mean, I think it's really funny. Um, apparently for a while this film was only available in like, it was a 45 minute edit. And then uh, Vinegar Syndrome proudly on the back announced that like for the first time in like, history or whatever on home video you can watch the whole 75 minutes it's like i can use the 30 minutes back frankly but so be it i guess we understand now why pornography did not go mainstream if their foremost auteur was this fucking guy (laughs) it's really pushing the form i mean you know actually something that really did strike me about this because um i mean it's been years since I last watched it, but like one of my main overarching memory of Deep Throat as a film is that I thought it was really funny. I thought it was just a really fun, goofy film. And I know the history of the film and Linda Lovelace's recountings later on certainly undercut a lot of the pleasantry and the, the freewheeling nature of that film. But like Deep Throat was a really kind of fun, sex positive goofy film and i just and you know and i remember there were just jokes and they were and it was silly but it was kind of like an endearing silly this has none of those qualities it is utterly leaden paced and unfunny the jokes are you know literally schoolyard banter in like a, a grade school like it's just tiresome um you know i just i don't understand how they didn't, ha- you know, kind of like hit on a couple of jokes by f- accident. You know, you think it would happen, but really, it's tremendously, tremendously unfunny. I mean, with such consistency, it's it just grinds you down. Yeah, it's yeah, it's <laughs> it really is an exhausting movie, and it it like at times feels it's only this movie only runs for seventy five minutes, but it feels longer than another film that we'll be discussing, which the runtime is actually a full hour longer than let my puppets come, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. And why is it called let my puppets come? Adam, you brought this up as well. It's like, it's, it's, is it a riff on the Bible verse? Uh, yeah. Hell it's gotta know. be right. It's like a Charlton Heston sure. thing. Like let my people go. But I'm, that's what I asked before I watch it. I'm like, Oh, so does this have some 10 commandments bent? Is it like playing off of that in a perverse way? It's like, no, not at all. No. I mean, I don't. Okay, so here's here's the stretch that I'm going to make to to connect that. So at the end, and I I mean literally in the last ten minutes, 
they throw in this stuff where it's like, oh, no, now at the end of making their porno film, the ad guys are getting thrown in jail and the, the cops are trying to shut them down and censor them and censorship, censorship. This is where they, they try to create a reason for this entire movie to exist. And as they're doing that, like, it, it, you know, the will of the people really makes makes this this film, the film within the film rise up and, and win like Oscars or something. And, and it takes porn to the next level. So the, the let my people go, it's kind of more of like a let let my porno go kind of moment so hence let my puppets come and those puppets do come man they come like they're just shooting ropes the entire time so it delivers on its promise yeah sure (laughs) it does not take long to see a puppet come in this movie by the way yeah it's true it also um a lot of like and i mean i guess we could expect from the 70s a lot of ropey like kind of trans comedy here Oh god. Uh, a of, yeah. A lot of fun stuff there about gender. I mean they try to play with it one here or there where they he accidentally makes the the the, the puppet in one of them is, is a, accidentally has like a dick and balls, but it's supposed to be a woman, obviously, based on all of its other attributes, so they just cut it off and suddenly suddenly it becomes a woman magically. It's wonderful. That's honestly one of the one of the kinder elements in that vein within this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just kind of swinging wildly. Yeah, they thought she was a woman, and then she lifted her dress up, and they gasp at the dick and balls, and she turns to the camera and goes, Nobody's perfect! <laughs> <laughs> oh, delightful. Take my dick, please! Yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, but, yeah, the, the whole film, like, all the jokes, though, are just, they're so, like, just broad and, and hacky and don't land at all, and... Are, are are vaguely offensive, but almost too dumb to be offensive most of the time, and it's it's exhausting, man. It's like listening to this podcast, honestly. Like it's just <laughs> it's just too much. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I I gotta I, I gotta go to bat for let my puppets come because this was the uh, the Hollywood debut of the voice of Jafar from Aladdin. So would we have Aladdin without let my puppets come? I don't know. It does also feature music by Alan Silvestri, which is just fucking bizarre. Yeah, that that was a weird point in the credits yeah. for sure. <laughs> oh, all the big stars. Well, uh, you know, Jake mentioned earlier that we watched another movie that I wasn't too keen on, and it's like a whole hour longer than this, but somehow. It feels a lot shorter, which is weird because it's about 98% just sex or sex stuff. Uh, we watch Liberté. Vous connaissez notre situation. Nous avons dû fuir la cour et depuis nous sommes bien seuls. Nos amis se font rares et les lieux où nous sommes en sécurité le sont aussi. Slop on my knob, like horn on the cob. Check in with me and do your job. Lay on the bed and give me head. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. Like, are you are you guys into French French people in wigs jerking it in the woods or what? I take umbrage with what you people are saying. This does not feel shorter by anything. This is. (laughs) I I kept nudging it up. I was like, all right, click playback speed one point one. Let's try one point (laughs) two. 
it's it's actually it's really funny at two and a half speed because <laughs> um, like it doesn't it doesn't change much but the uh it looks like it's really windy out especially there's there's one part where it actually starts storming while they're all like jerking each other and uh yeah. the, the leaves look really funny uh so yeah watch if you watch this at 2.5 it's a riot uh, <laughs> otherwise it's unwatchable <laughs> Adam, Adam, you'll be pleased to know that originally Albert Serra shot 300 hours of footage. It feels like I watched serious? every fucking one. Yeah, that's 300 hours. Oh my god! Imagine you're you're like a lady with like a like a fucking like twig in your ass for just like <laughs> six weeks while this guy just. <laughs> Not stop. At this point, it's probably worth clarifying. Like, what is liberté? And I, I oh. guess liberté is like a. It's kind of like a space. It's not really a movie. It has no storyline. It doesn't go anywhere. It's completely inert. Effectively, there's there's really not much of a structure. Um. So if you're looking for like a storyline to carry you through, if that's something you like in your movies, you're not going to like this at all. Um, and it's basically about a group of libertines in uh, Louis the Sixteenth's France. I was just before he's fallen, I guess. They, he's still he's still in charge, but they've been expelled from the court, and so they meet up with uh, some kind of I think Prussian duke or something um, in a forest to basically discuss the possibilities of bringing libertinism to the masses by exploring their own hedonistic desires in a single night and it is literally just a bunch of people just like pissing on each other in a forest i almost wish it was more <laughs> pissing all they're doing is they just got their hand in their pants just fucking rubbing away at their little gym jams it's like what, what yeah. are we fucking doing here <laughs> it's it's weird because a lot of it you just see a lot of it's just flaccid cock pulling like there's yeah. nary a hard on to be found well, they're probably exhausted. 300 yeah. hours of just no, jerking no, your um, dick in the this, this is the point, I mean, and it, it's kind of difficult to figure out. It's one of those films that really I think you, you have to bring, you have to find a lens to view it through because the film is barely there as a structure. I like to put the lens cap on before I fuck it to you. <laughs> <laughs> although although worth, worth noting, I think, like frankly, I, I think this is actually one of the most cinematic like cinematically beautiful films of 2020 that i saw in the whole year it is a really stunningly beautiful photographed film right. um there just happens to be a bunch of paunchy white folk in a forest uh, it's kind of a strange conundrum on that thing but um essentially this started as a play and then he he started shooting a film version and from the film version he also made a, a theatrical exhibit an installation uh, so, like, all of these things consider or, or kind of prompt that Albert Serra is not interested in a... He's not interested in making a movie where its its goals are apparent. It's it's very much like kind of a... It feels like an experiment, an idea to kind of push certain elements to the fore or bring certain elements to the fore and push other elements to the back and just see what kind of a film he ends up with. And he talks about his making of the film... He basically had three cameras running constantly, and he shot for three weeks in a forest between about 7 p.m. to 4 a.m. Um, with a single light. Most, or he, well, he had one major key light up above. He had like a, a, I think it was like some kind of a balloon with like a halogen lamp that just shone down, <laughs> and he stuck a couple of other like lights everywhere else, and then literally just ran the cam three cameras constantly 
his actors did stuff. I frankly don't know if there was a script. The dialogue uh, is f- infrequent and absolutely bizarre. Most of it's just about, like, I'd like to stick my dick in a pine cone or something. Like, it's just guys, like... <laughs> prompting nonsensical stuff and uh, it I, don't know. I think it's pretty good there's that one line where where the the guy's like to to a woman this is like his his come on line he's like so i want to i want to take a bull and i want to stick my dick in his nostril hole and then i'm gonna God pull the boogers out <laughs> with my wiener <laughs> and then he's yeah, like dude. what are you gonna do baby and she's like I will hold his turgid bull member in my hand and <laughs> high five you like, and, and then he's just like, huh, "No imagination." <laughs> well, lest we so, lest we forget the best line in the film: "Open the gates of hell." Oh. Right before a guy. Oh my god, I love that. Starts. I was yeah. thinking about okay, so so we redo the theme song for the podcast, right? And you know how like uh, on the Mark Maron podcast, he does the "lock the gates" line or whatever. We do ours is just is just "open the gates," and it's just that the ass <laughs> eat. What do you think? Problem is, it's going to be in French. Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Always going to problem. Could we subtitle a podcast? <laughs> What what really is optimism vaccine when you boil it down to its essence? And I think it's like pretentiously eating ass. So it's, I, yeah, I think there it fits. you have it. So <laughs> going back to the structure. So basically what he did was he ran three cameras and he just had his actors do stuff. And his actors, most of them are non-professional. There's like one professional actor who sits in a stagecoach for the entire film. Pretty much. I don't think he goes anywhere. And then everyone else were like art, like painters or set people. Um, he just got other people in to do stuff. Like most of them aren't professional actors. And I think part of it was just seeing what they would end up doing within this like framework of the film. And then he, by his own admission, took this 300 hours of footage he shot over three weeks. Um, and then he basically edited around the interesting parts. To, or, or, you know, or around the structured parts. His idea at all times was to, to maintain an obliqueness, to dissipate focus, to ensure that no clear construction of everyone's relationships to each other or narrative emerged, to make sure that the whole thing was kind of just like a kind of an unknowable ephemeral space. And that's the film. And, you know, and there's a lot of directions you can go in in analyzing this film in terms of people's relationships to each other, questions of consent between the director and the actor, pornography, is this pornography, etc. But I mean, I think for anyone who might be interested in the film, you have to understand this film was constructed quite antagonistically. Um, this is like the absolute complete opposite to everything alfred hitchcock declared cinema to be for him <laughs> you know this this is like the just inverse negative image of that and it is just people milling around um mostly soft because i guess they frankly uh probably are all tuckered out um, and mm. then ever so often just yeah there, there's some little bit that comes out where like some guy just some old dude sits in a wheelbarrow and like someone just pees on him uh, and apparently that took, like, they had to get, like, 12 different people to pee on him just to get the shot, which meant mm. that it was just, you know, well, you know, on day at the office, hard day, come home, put up your coat, your wife asks you what you were up to. 
Just <laughs> why you smell like piss? What what was the deal with that guy's arm? Like it, it, like yeah. three quarters of the way through the movie, all of a sudden his arm was lopped off, and they were like jabbing it with a fork, and then it seemed like his arm was fine the rest of the movie. I'm like, what? He, what the hell's even happening? He was like this disfigured guy who they kind of because he's in a wheelbarrow in like the very first scene of the movie, and he he looks like visibly disfigured if like i don't know from a fire you're talking or about the pig guy yeah yeah pig man. weird pig guy he's got a like a bloody stump that they're playing with and picking at at the end it's it's just i mean this is i mean not only is this like just no fun to watch but like just it's actively repulsive to i'm i'm everything. guessing i'm i'm guessing they lopped his arm off at some point in the movie and it was deemed or too cinematic, and so we had to go. Wow! Yeah, like, what's, what's going on with this fork? Here? But, it, but it looks like it's a healed stump, though, and it, they're just making it bloody. To I don't know, fuck it, I guess. Unhealing it, I can't. Yeah, picking that stump scab. Picking there that are stump, yeah. So many like people in the cast too. I don't even know if they ever knew they were on camera or what. It's there's like that fat guy <laughs> who's just he does nothing in the movie except stand in the woods. Just standing there, standing, <laughs> yeah. looking yeah. At, at one thing or the next. And he's in probably 50% of the shots just standing. To, to be fair, Adam, would you would you want in? I just, like, <laughs> no, I, I relate to his character most of anyone in the movie, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. I wonder what the fuck direction he was given. Like, all right, uh, you're done for the day, Henry, but they're just fucking filming I, him I anyway. Think, you know, no direction at all. I in an interview I read with Sarah, um, he, he fondly recalls the play this was based on, and he 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 talked about the play was filmed in this massive auditorium in I think Vienna, and he played with the space. He just literally he and he he didn't work with the actors a lot, and the play just unfolds in this ginormous space. And some critic left a scathing review about how it was like a display of actors being abandoned, and he was like. Excellent. That's what I wanted. And he, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, and I guess it's an examination. Like I, you, you, like I say, you have to find perspective. It's a film that doesn't hold together under any traditional guide. Like this is anti-Hollywood. This does not have any of the framework that brings an audience in. You have to bring some kind of lens yourself to determine why any of this would exist or what you are watching it means to you. You become, by watching it, you know, is this voyeurism? Uh, I mean, it comes to a point, honestly, guys, why the fuck did we all sit through 135 minutes of this? You know, do we have an excuse beyond Steve saying we should? Is that good? Does that reflect poorly on us? Maybe it does. I, I mean, I, I have that uh, problem where I never stop watching anything, but... I, I can safely say, were it not for feeling obliged by the podcast, I would have shut this the fuck off. I was I was <laughs> done with this fucking movie. Agreed. Yeah. At least it looks nice. It's like it, a it disgusting screensaver so nice. that you don't want anyone to see. <laughs> yeah. But I, th I think that's like a screensaver is a good touch point. I mean, this really... The idea that part of this film was originally created as an art installation, or at least could easily segue into that, really makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's just sort of, there's no sense of time or cause and effect. It's just random dalliances in the wood. Um, and yeah, I, I don't exactly know what what I would draw from this. Because, I mean, I'm not, like, I'm trying to find the positives in it, because it's such a, a curiously 
antagonistic film. Like, frankly, when people talk about, like, Goddard being difficult, this to me is far more difficult than anything I've seen from Goddard. This is a, yeah. you know, frankly, just a real kind of like, so you're still here. Well, let's make sure we can fix that. Um, <laughs> and it's it's kind of like, you know, as as you watch it and you move through it, it's... um. I guess I'm I'm losing my train of thought, but I'm I guess I guess the idea is basically that there's there's there are facets of it that are interesting and everything, but like my main problem with this film is that frankly, more than any other film we've watched, this is a film that should have actually just been a porno. I, I no none of my visions of this film um and its ideas of exploring sexuality and it's I you know, I think it's kind of maybe surreptitiously but it's certainly it's a non-judgmental film it's a film about you know exploring these elements and it's not like any of these people are portrayed as awful freaks within the context mm -hmm. of all of them are this so you know who who are we to say any of them are right or wrong or whatever but you know it's like if it's, it's a movie about the joy of sex no one seems to be enjoying it <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> an incredibly grueling kind of experience. And also another thing I would just add at the end of this, because um, I'm generally pretty suspicious of, you know, accounts of like representation in cinema. I think, you know, the kind of ID politics thing that's kind of crept into movies, the Netflix algorithm machine um, has really cheapened the idea of movies being, a you know, that if a movie stars a woman or a black person or, ex, you know, any kind of, you know, and not a white guy that that, you know, makes the movie more you know or makes it about something more um you know there, there's been a i think a significant problem with that of recent because uh a lot of movies just seem like they just could be you just stick anyone in the role and it doesn't make a difference um so i'm, I'm suspicious of representation but at the same time i'm also suspicious of this film where frankly all of the dudes are like 40 something and paunchy like honestly 40 is like the starting age it goes all the way up and they're all just like just white sacks of flesh. And then the like three women in the movie are all like in pretty good shape and, you know, kind of like all and conventionally 22. attractive. Yeah. And it, it's just it is curious to me that in this movie about debauchery, etc., that fucking a fat chick is still just beyond the pale. They can't. Oh, no. they can never. They so, never. you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit curious about that, although. Um, I you know I don't know. Uh, Sarah said he cast it via Facebook among other <laughs> places, so I have no idea where he found. Uh, these remake people. this movie with Melissa McCarthy and Chadwick Boseman, and you got yourself a winner. See, I <laughs> like this. This makes me most curious about like the patronage process. Like, how the fuck did someone see a play of this and go, "Boy, that'd make a ripping film. Let's fund it." And then someone saw the film and was like, "Oh man." We got to distribute this to the masses. Like, how the fuck is this movie even available for me to ever see? Because I wish I mean, it was I gotta not. admit, Adam, <laughs> I, 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 like, it's weird. Like, how is it, how is there, like, popular movies, like, that aren't available on home video? And this is getting released in, like, the UK and the US. It has Blu-ray distribution secured. <laughs> That's... Definitely I like to bizarre. think that we're helping contribute to that. So. Yeah, oh, who's not going to rush <laughs> out and yeah. purchase a copy of this? Four people this watched is, it. Honestly, yeah. like what well, I want to see a sixty-year-old man like 
tug his little floppy wiener in a wheelbarrow 100 <laughs> everyone like that's what we want oh, that's what, what cinema about the milky is. water that's that's the oh, big mystery yeah. what is the milky water i don't get that like so the lady's hanging from the tree and then there's that guy and he and he he like is he jizzing in the water and then dumping the water on her? Is that is it just milk? Isn't it just milk? Yeah. Or is it milk? I'm, did Maybe they have like some little cows milk. hanging out with them? I don't know. Oh yeah. Is it a okay. Star Wars reference? <laughs> I heard they had some milky stuff in that. I haven't watched any of the Star Wars movies, but I have watched Liberté and Let My Puppets Come. So I'm clearly <laughs> yeah. living a fully realized life. Like, that's, fuck that's the Mandalorian. The, that's the trilogy that Lucas originally wanted. <laughs> the one that we're doing right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's a lot of young, noble women in this film, but they're all basically at the receiving end of like some kind of act of sadism or humiliation, whether it's being just yeah. doused Dude. with milk in the middle of the night or being whipped senseless. Uh, it's yeah, it's just unpleasant. But they're having a good time. Yeah, uh, you we know, have I fun mean, here. It's, it's not. Like, it's not like it's. I mean, I think they they're they're portrayed within the film as being you know equal interlocutors with with the idea of kinky sex it's just uh, i think it is just a little bit funny that all of them are like much younger and in better shape than most of the men <laughs> there, there is a really great scene where it's just a woman basically berating a guy for not being able to get it up so she's bored and she's not getting what she came for i mean like what like if you're a libertine in a european forest at night and you can't get laid like what what is the purpose of your entire lifestyle i thought that was kind of an entertaining scene yeah i i guess it's not i i don't know the sexual politics of this are are strange and muddied because all the men are just constantly yammering about rubbing shit on women and uh you know pissing in their assholes and uh storming a convent and kidnapping nuns but uh uh, the women are are equally abusive in many ways, so I don't know exactly what it's trying to say. Again, I, I this movie must just be too smart for me because I got fucking nothing out of it. I gotta say the the only thing that I I think is interesting because my takeaway from the film, like I said before, is that frankly I just feel like any angle I can think of to approach it, a, an actual like traditional pornographic film would be at least as successful. I think. Sure, but I. But I did see that Sarah at one point said that he felt he, if he had cast actual porn actors, they they are too attuned to the camera and their own bodies that there wouldn't have been the vulnerability there, and that's why he didn't do that possibly, mm -hmm. or why at least that why it, it unfolds in a more, uh, I guess unprofessional way or unprepared way that he specifically from his actors brought people who would not be able to you know that a, i guess a, a traditional porn actor would understand better what they are meant to do in this situation and would become something different which i think is true whether it's better or not is <laughs> up to you know honestly your own your own discretion um, and you'd have to watch the movie to decide. And I'm not sure we're driving too many people in that I, direction. I, but I mean, no, you have not. to really be going for something to, to watch this movie, I feel like. If you're, you're studying film theory, great. If you're not, it's probably not going to be for you. Because I'm not even saying derisively <laughs> that I think this movie's too smart for me. Because I, I do hold derision toward this film. But I also do believe that Sarah is doing something here and it's just I don't get it 
I, I'm a dum dum. I don't understand it. I, this movie means <laughs> nothing to me. I think I think the best case scenario, I mean, is to look at it like, I, you know, and it's almost. I, I think this is better than let my puppets come because at least it's the film that I, that prompts me. <laughs> Thank to you. Think. Someone had to say it. <laughs> That's it. They should put that when Grasshopper or, or sorry Cinema Guild released this in the U.S. That should be the tagline. Better than let my puppets come. One star. Better than let my puppets. Come. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like. Uh, you know, I, I'm just, I guess I'm glad these films are out there. I, you know, just the idea of being able to just shrug off everything that people would tell mm -hmm. you. Like, all those books that have been written about how to write a screenplay, I would love to force every motherfucker who wrote one of those stupid books to sit <laughs> through this movie and then try and tell me about it. Yeah, Sa Save the Cat <laughs> is going to become Tug the Cock. Yeah. Mm. It's a real hero's journey in this one. I have a just a request for our listeners. If you do watch this film and you're wondering about it, go ahead and uh, tweet at our good friend Sean Glennis at Mr. Glennis and ask him for oh, his yeah. thoughts. Because uh, I mean, surprisingly, of the five of us, he really actually liked it quite a bit. Uh, so I'm, I'd be uh, curious to hear more of his thoughts. Unfortunately, he didn't yeah, want to watch Marquis de Sean. Didn't want to watch the uh, yeah the Marquis de Sean. <laughs> We may have our title there, but um, unfortunately, yeah, he didn't want to watch the other films and join us, so uh, we're we're just left kind of sitting here wondering what the a fuck wiser, it was. A wiser man than us. I would think he would have liked our third film quite a bit, so he should have joined yeah. us. He should have sucked it up and watched the fucking stupid puppet movie. I mean, should, yeah. we, should, we're Sean we, shaming. should we get into our third film? <sighs> Might as well. Oh, we absolutely should. The last thing I want to say, and we don't have to talk about this, I just want to leave this little nugget with you, is... Um, you know, some some people have com compared Liberté to something like uh, Pasolini's Sallow, something like that. But I, I don't think it's in, it's not in the same realm as that because uh, the, the politics are too muddied and there's just a million different reasons why. Another comparison that I've seen, which I kind of get a little bit more, is uh, Jez Franco, uh, who has also become super popular in the last couple of years. People are really getting into the Franco. Um, but... I saw on Twitter there was a, a guy, he's a film journalist. I can't remember what his name is, it's gonna bother me, but he actually ran into Sarah and he was talking to him about Liberté. He's just like, Oh, I really like Liberté. It reminds me of Jess Franco. And Albert Sarah got really mad and was just like, I fucking hate Jess Franco. <laughs> that that <laughs> is I think it's perfect. really funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course you do. So on that note, uh, the last movie we watched was actually great. It's called The Telephone Book. It doesn't star Whoopi Goldberg, so stop thinking that. I make obscene telephone calls. The best calls. Calls that no one can resist. I have perfected this highly specialized art to the point where if I wanted to I could seduce the president of the United States but I have no political ambitions see the telephone book this <laughs> <laughs> kicks ass this is such it's so a great good. movie alright Jake what the fuck is the telephone book oh man telephone book wow uh, it's about a woman who is, uh, she's, she's very, uh, sexually liberated and into some, into some stuff, gets a, an obscene phone call, and, uh, the film is basically her trying to 
I don't know, I guess uh, chase the high that she got off of that phone call through a, uh, a sexual experience. Yeah, it's a great obscene phone call. It's the best she's ever received. I mean, that's the tagline mm-hmm. of the movie. That's the story of a woman who fell in love with the world's most obscene phone call or something like that. Perfect phone call. Yeah. This is, I guess, my through line through all the movies we've discussed is that I'm kind of glad all of them are able to exist. You know, film is better when there's stuff that's like really off the beaten track this movie is probably ironically is probably the most traditional of the three but in a way is the most strange because this is written and directed by nelson lyon who probably best known for saturday night live <laughs> for killing john belushi <laughs> and then killing john belushi he went on a whatever four-day bender yeah, yeah heroin one of bender. them didn't make it through so <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it's like, how on earth, like, I guess it all comes back to like the 1970s was that time. And I mentioned before, like production co-collapsing, film studios were changing up procedures and everything. There was like this period in the 70s, really, where they weren't quite sure what films would be now. And genre wasn't quite as clear. You know, I mean, Criterion Channel, uh, just like like in October of last year, did that like 70s horror series and it was fantastic just overview of 70s horror movies which really were largely psychological often women-led uh totally the the opposite of like the 80s and 90s frankly and really what we came to understand because by the 80s they tapped down they figured out what sold tickets with the least amount of effort and it was like a slasher and some naked chicks you know and about the 70s they were like uh, what should it be? And it's like, maybe it should be like a woman having delusions. And it's like, and it's like half the horror movies were like John Cassavetes films. Like it was insane. The telephone <laughs> book is very much in that vein. It's a comedy, a sex comedy, but it is not like an 80s sex comedy. It's not, you know, sexist or raunchy in the same way. It's strangely liberated. It's really funny. It has these incredible deadpan lines in it um it's just unlike any other film i've seen and the idea that the guy who made this just went into fucking right for saturday night live which is i mean granted back then kind of meant something and now it's just like an absolute just shit show from start to finish but still it was like still somewhat normal entertainment like mainstream entertainment I just can't imagine in this day and age that someone could make like a pretty sexually charged comedy and then just saunter in and start writing for like fucking, I don't know, whatever popular TV shows are now. TV is just so full of nonsense at this point. I didn't even know of an example, but just think of a TV show. Yeah, young, that's it. Yeah, somebody could just make a movie about like a sex caller and then just show up to Young Sheldon the next day and write like. If the director of Final Flesh wrote for Young Sheldon. (laughs) <laughs> that would be good. That's my dream, is, actually. Yeah, no, this, this movie is, frankly, I mean, you know, I can pretty much say, you haven't seen a film like this before. No, the only thing that I can I can think of comparatively that it, it reminded me of, because sometimes, you know, we're, we're watching shit or I'm watching shit, and it's like, why do I do this to myself, really? You know, you, that, that's the kind of questions you ask when you're watching Let My Puppets Come. Like, what what are we doing? Is this Is this worth it? <laughs> And then you watch something like this and it's just like, it's like a jolt, man. It's like, it's like getting just hit by lightning and it energizes you. And you watch something that, like you said, like you've never seen before. And this actually, it reminds me a lot of uh, Putney Swope, 
Yeah, I yeah. was going to say Robert Downey yeah. or uh, even Definitely. early Woody Allen to an extent as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's just, it just, man, it sizzles. It absolutely sizzles. And it's it's a sex comedy in the same sense that, you know, Putney Swope is an office comedy. Like, it, it's so much more than that. And it's wild because not only is it like, in terms of, of what it's doing, but it's so formally radical in how it approaches a sex comedy, but it had to be mind-blowing back then. And still today, like, you're not going to see anything that's even in the same realm as this. So yeah, yeah when you see a movie like this, it's just, it's exciting. Yeah. It's like, it's like Putney Swope and telephone book and films that like, it just feels like in the seventies. And I know a certain amount of curation has happened to bring them back to the forefront again, but like, I mean, these are well-made films. I mean, this looks spectacular and like, Oh my God, it's gorgeous. Honestly, I, I don't know why everyone doesn't shoot black and white 16 mil. It just looks incredible. Yeah. But, um, it's a really, you know, it's a really well-made movie, but it just feels like in the seventies, they just let dangerous people make movies. Like this movie feels like it could go anywhere at any time. Putney Swope is the same kind of thing. And there's other movies like the spook who sat by the door, you know, just movies that you feel like could just, like they could they're lit, just feel free you just have no idea what will happen from moment to moment it could do anything and i just i can't think of many movies like that now no i mean and modern movies the only thing i can think of that that's in that same realm too is maybe like sorry to bother you yeah that's another thing and that's kind of about as close as you'll get these days i think is is something like sorry to bother you for sure mm-hmm yeah so had any had any of you seen this before? Is this like first time for all of us getting our fucking mind well, minds well, blown I, by a I random this vinegar similar to the podcast? Because I'm I'm ahead of the curve by oh. three months. Look at that! <laughs> wow, <laughs> big fucking deal! Unbelievable! No, yeah, welcome this to is the a, future, guys. This is actually yeah, I picked this up uh, just on a whim with the um the Black Friday sale for Vinegar Syndrome because I I heard good things. I think Jack had actually watched it around that time, so I was like, yeah, why not? I'll check this out wasn't that much and uh i'm i'm yeah really glad i did it's it's gorgeous um the i mean i want to praise the lead actress sarah kennedy she's like fantastic she's got like this great charming and bubbly quality to her but she's she's just so so much fun to watch and and like literally hang out with and uh yeah there's a lot of a lot of great stuff in here. I, I especially want to talk about the ending, but uh, I don't think we're quite there yet. When, when when you talk about hanging out, actually, you know, Jake, it it honestly does remind me like this. Almost feels like kind of like a the, a weird American incarnation of Rivette. Like it, this reminds me a little bit of like Celine and Julie go boating. Like it's just a bizarre urban adventure through mm-hmm. realms that are kind of like by turn seedy but also utterly fantastical and sort of magical it's like alice in wonderland but about obscene phone callers and pornographers i mean she wanders in on a guy who's like a he's like an aging porn star but he's shooting his magnum opus and is literally just covered in women for the entire scene and it's it's things that are like could clearly be sleazy but it is so surreal in the context of the film that it's it feels I, I yeah, it feels very familiar. It feels kind of welcoming. Uh, you know, there, it's strange. There's also like, how do you make a wholesome porno? <laughs> this yeah, this is about as close you're gonna get to that. <laughs> Man, I I I feel like I'm like 
disappointed I've never heard of this. I, I'm not, I've never heard of Nelson Lyon. I've never heard of this movie. And I feel like apparently his career was somewhat derailed by the Belushi stuff. But man, it feels like we missed out on something. <laughs> like this movie is special. I can't even oversell it. It's, it's doing a lot of, uh, I guess Albert Brooks would be another analog, but it, for me, it's, it's probably more successful than any of his seventies work too. I, I just think this is a special film. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, uh, I, I agree. This is, you know, just like just a, uh, just a bizarre little erotic piece of gold. Uh, I mean, there's uh, like the the I don't know what happened. With Erotic the gold printed on the box, baby. Did, did we mention there's animation? <laughs> well, that, we'll yeah, get to that in a second. But I also want to talk about the scene where she's talking to the guy at the diner. And there's like some great masturbation imagery where he's like paying her to tell the story of the last time she got off. And like he's, you know, fiddling with he's got like one of those change dispensers wrapped around his belt. He's like just constantly fiddling and playing with it and dispensing coins out onto the table. And uh, but like him trying to get her to tell the story is really funny because he's like he's like asking her, like, so what do you do in bed? And she says, well, I sleep. And then he says, OK, well, what do you do when you wake up? And she says, I get out of bed. <laughs> um, uh, and then like he finally has to yell, when was the last time you fucked? And uh, the whole diner hears him. But uh, record scratch. Yeah, <laughs> which which actually which is a funny thing. You mentioned that scene because that is almost a flip side to in the early 80s, Bet Gordon would make a great film, Variety, which is about a woman working in a porno theater. And it's a much more, I guess, it's not a more film, it's a more obviously feminist film, I guess, than this. But the flip side of that is this woman who becomes so embroiled and interested in pornography that she starts recounting pornographic tales in incredibly explicit detail at length to her like boyfriend and it's the least erotic thing in the world like and the guys are sitting there blank face it's a really like funny element in that film as well but this idea of you know that when we start to i guess start to encompass her sexual wants or her sexual fantasy and discuss it at length it, it becomes much less fantastical so there's this kind of weird push and pull between those two films and i think actually as i think about it the telephone book and variety would be a an interesting double bill and truly a tribute to like a New York that no longer exists. Uh, sadly, maybe not sadly. I don't know. It's very easy to glamorize 42nd street, but then you hear about all the people who got stabbed there. So, you know, yin and the yang. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a great movie. And I, I don't know. It, it, it has that same kind of manic energy that we got in let my puppets come, but it's just, Everything is done masterfully where Let My Puppets Come is just, it's, you know, silly string jizz dribbling out of a felt cock. Yeah, um, the craft here is just so different. It's I on mean, another level. It's, there's, uh, it's, I suppose it's similarly vignette driven, but uh, man, he gets so much out of all these actors who are really nobodies. Like the various uh, John Smiths are all fucking fantastic. The analyst is great harpoon is great and yeah mm -hmm. let's i'm sure we'll oh, yeah, get they, into they the have man these himself like, uh, these like confessional moments almost where people sit down and look directly in the camera and start talking about their experiences making dirty phone calls and they're actually hilarious <laughs> unlike in let my puppets come where it's just like 
Hey, uh, I got some, uh, it's called, it's called mouth goggle for your mouth when you suck my cock. <laughs> yo, yo, huh. Like, that's, that's their idea of it. And here it's just like these, these little stories where this guy is talking about how, you know, he, he makes these phone calls and then it escalates and escalates and it just, I don't know. I, I don't want, I don't want to get in too much. Cause like, it just, just hunt this movie down, watch it, steal a copy of it, buy a copy of it, whatever you got to do. But the, the vignettes that break up the ending monologue that's going on are incredible. It's so good. I was just going to say that the obscene caller played, I think with James Harder, who, as you say, he's not, he doesn't have an illustrious career. I think he has like five or six credits on, on the IMDb. He's like, he's like X rated Adam West here. Yeah. It's that same <laughs> weird deadpan sensibility. And it is hilarious. He has at some point, I, I, it's been, because I, I watched this movie a while back, I didn't get a chance to revisit it for this pod, but there's one point where he just recounts the story, I guess, of the dissolutionist family, and there's this one part where he mentions about how, like, his son threatens to kill him, and it's the funniest thing I have heard in a film in a long time, like, it's an absolute laugh-out-loud moment, Yeah, and it's, it's biz- like, you just, you don't, at no point in this film do you know what's coming next you don't you don't really get an edge on the comedy like you can't head it off you don't know what's happening and it like it like it's been mentioned i mean really i can't oversell it it's just feels so fresh for a film from like 1973 or whatever 1971 that it just feels absolutely vital like this feels like if you were to put it out now it would be cutting edge mm-hmm. where, yeah. where did we go wrong well, because it's it's essentially about sex in modernity, and that is an evergreen, evolving topic these days. Oh, and, man. I mean, you don't have to sub in fucking Twitter to understand what's being said by this film, but it is it's fascinating and fucking hilarious, and it's just a really goddamn great movie. I I did not see this coming. Oh, best best line in the whole movie, and it it nails kind of the whole film's thesis and. It's it's so perfect, but when <clears throat> the central character when she goes to the like aging pornographer's house and he's got like ninety seven women just like stacked on top of him, and she's like, "What's your movie about?" It's like the human condition, <laughs> and she says, "Well, what's the human condition?" And he just goes, "Fucked up, unable to communicate." <laughs> the- yes, perfect. <gasps> Tattoo that shit on my arm. <laughs> yeah, we we mentioned that briefly that there is animation. the The ending of this movie is amazing. Um, like it switches to color, and it's like it's the best way I can articulate this is that it's like the best visual representation of sex I've seen in a film. And I don't mean that in a way that's like, okay, you you know, you have two attractive actors having sex on camera and it's choreographed and everything. But I'm like talking about like just the the film form in general, like how it's shot, how it's paced and edited, the the sounds that you're hearing throughout, the rhythm that just builds and builds. It's like it at literally celluloid sex. Uh it's it's so stunning. I was just literally blown away by it. Mm-hmm. Well, and and of course, like the movie builds to this idea that she's finally going to get to have sex with the guy who's been making these dirty phone calls. Yeah. And it's like, nope, the only way that they could pull it off is they have to, he has to call her again. And then we're just treated to 
the most bizarre animation. Like, hey, you ever seen a Godzilla-sized vagina with legs, like, <laughs> just straight up banging a, like, the World Trade Center? I, <laughs> yeah, like, it's very R. Crumb-esque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just feels, the whole thing feels so organic and low-key and personal, you know, kind of like, like, someone animated that, and it's it's a fantastic sequence, but, like, you know, it's a sort of something some people did, probably friends of friends, you know, kind of, or, you know, some internal contacts just put this together and put in a movie. It feels like now if you had to, you know, if that were to appear in a picture or a similar sequence, you know, there'd be, there'd be articles about it where they talk about how they were, like, unchaining themselves from, you know, the market and they were bridging new things and they were trying new stuff and it'd be, you know, all this kind of, like, grand talk this the film maintains throughout this very kind of like workman like quality it's it's I don't, I don't know it's it's just got this strange like just the magic of what film really can be which is really just a small group of people with a camera and just some kind of crazy intention it, it feels utterly untamed and uncorporatized and yeah uh, you know kind of like uninterested in being loved, you know, it's, it, it, it's, which is one of the reasons why it's so great it's because you absolutely have to meet the film on its own wavelength. It is not trying to impress you or kind of like coax you in with anything you're familiar with. It's bizarre. It's completely unique. Um, yeah, it, it just, it's one of those films that just it kind of like, like it's just a lightning strike, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could find a movie like this every time. Absolutely. Yeah, I I can't oversell this thing for me. Like it's I and I expected nothing. I mean, you guys said it was it was certainly a cut above this, but legitimately this is like <laughs> this is my sort of shit. I this is one of my favorite movies I've seen in in years, honestly. I think it's wow. it's just really special. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, occasionally occasionally we hit on some good stuff, uh, but uh, you know, that's one out of every 100 with us, Maybe, I think. That's that, that that's can our bad the the, the Liberté poster is better than Let My Puppets Come, but not as good as the telephone book. Yeah, there you go. There's there's the poll Perfect. quote. I object. Right, Let's boys. not mention Liberté in the same sentence as the telephone book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you don't want to lay yank on lay pud? Come on. <laughs> All right, guys, we got to wrap this thing up. So, uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I've been uh, spending time on a couple of the old uh, walking simulator type games here. Uh and I gotta say, Kentucky Route Zero is the standout. I'm also playing some Death Stranding, and uh, considering the uh, vast disparity in budgets between the two games, it's uh, it's amazing how much more <laughs> compelling I'm finding the uh, the indie Kentucky Route Zero, which is kind of uh, very rust belty, kind of about the death of America in many ways, and uh, it's just a haunting little game that uh, you can get on any modern video game system so check it out and uh take your time with it yeah that's great it's like 20 bucks go spend that money idiots go do it right now why haven't you bought it yet jack why haven't you played that game what's your problem uh well i have played kentucky route zero actually it's one of the only video games i've played in like the last two years and it's great so so we're agreed Okay. All right. I guess I'll, I could be less aggressive now. I suppose. Fuck you, well, Steve. <laughs> you son of a bitch. What I do you own put this over this podcast week, now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna put over um 
I'm going to put over a song, Hawthorne, which is by a singer, Alex Bannon. Bannon, B-A-N-I-N. She's, uh, I guess, a young, new kind of R&B singer. Um, new enough that on, like, the song, if you go and listen to it on YouTube, I swear to God, it's like her brother, I think, is in the comments. Like, it's, it's I don't know. She's like, but I feel like she she may be uh up-and-coming great thing. Um. Not normally my kind of music is like smooth R and B, but it's it's real fucking smooth. It's pretty good. So uh, Hawthorne by Alex Bannon. If you're just looking for like a chill three minutes, check it out. And I have a feeling she's gonna be cropping up in more places in the future. All right, Jake, what are you putting over this week? I'm gonna put over a 1991 film called Stone Cold, starring a uh, uh, football NFL star Brian Bosworth. Uh, it's about a uh, oh. a cop who goes undercover with a uh, white supremacist biker gang led by Lance Henriksen, who plans to storm the Mississippi Capitol in order to murder the jury on this, uh, on this case for a, uh, uh, one of their ga- gang members is on trial, and he has to stop them. Uh, it's glorious. It's violent. Uh, Brian Bosworth and Lance Henriksen kick ass. Um, and it, uh, was eerily prescient of some events that may have taken place, uh, last week in the United States. So, uh, yeah, if you want to re- <laughs> if you want to relive that again, but this time with an action hero in the center of it all, uh, by all means, please oh. check out, check out Stone Cold. Man, we, we back the bars around here in these parts. Yeah, man, when you told me about that movie, I was like, geez, it's, it's like it was created in a lab specifically for me. It's the most Steve Cuff movie of all here's, time. Here's from memory. He's got a pet monitor lizard and he makes him breakfast. And what he does is he gets he gets it like he cracks two eggs with the shells. He pops in some bananas. He pops in a couple Snickers bars. <laughs> he dumps in some potato chips. He blends it all up and then he pours it into his bowl for the lizard to eat. Beautiful. Breakfast of well, champions. You got the protein in there. What else you need? What else do you need? All right. Well. This week, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm putting over a YouTube channel, actually. Uh, you know, pe- people have complained about this show, and they say that, you know, we don't, we don't take film seriously. But there is a place where Hollywood is taken seriously, and that is on Ben Maracle's uh, YouTube channel. It's a guy, uh, he, he works out of like a, like a cable access station somewhere, and he shoots like a Siskel and Ebert-style show, Sometimes it's just him, sometimes it's with a buddy, and he does these film reviews. But I promise you, you have not in your life witnessed a man that is so pure and so sincere in his film reviews. He is a goddamn angel, and we love him, okay? This is a 100% Ben Maracle backing podcast. Go check it out. Uh, where Hollywood is taken seriously, you just look that up on YouTube. You'll find all the stuff. He's been he's been at it for like seven years. He's been doing this forever. I'm trying to lock down an interview with him. I sent him an email. Ben, if you're listening, hit me up, baby. Let's talk. Uh, but yeah, check that out. And with that, I guess we can wrap things up. Um, if you are listening to this podcast right now, do us a big favor. In the description, there's a couple of links. First one will take you to our iTunes page, and that is where you come in, my friend, to help this podcast, to lift us up, because we, we are trying to, uh, to rise above the, the diarrhea-swirling toilet of podcast land and, and, and just kind of bubble to the top. 
And in order to do that, we need you to give us a five-star written review on iTunes. And I know that sounds like a lot of work, but I promise it'll take you like three seconds. If you haven't done it yet, just do it real quick if you're listening right now. Super, super easy. Appreciate that a lot. If you enjoy the podcast and you're looking to help us out a little bit more, you can donate to our Patreon. Uh, just a couple bucks a month will give you access to our entire backlog of content as well as Patreon exclusive content. Can't get anywhere else. Exclusive podcasts, articles, all kinds of stuff. It's all there for you. So with that, if you got the money, help us out. If you don't, that's okay too. I, I mean, I'm not going to hold it against you. It's a, it's a global pandemic. What are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? If you have any questions, concerns, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, you can tweet at us at Optimism Vaccine, or you can email us optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros has the Gmail account open right now. He's hitting refresh. Myros, you hitting refresh? Hitting refresh. Right there, right there. See? He's always, he's always waiting for you. Just gotta send that email. Uh yeah. Let us know. Talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Other than that, uh, you know, if you do donate to the Patreon. One thing you get every single week is you get a shout-out if you, if you donate enough money. So you could be the next Paula. You could be the next Dustin. You ever want to be a Dustin? Huh? Jack, you want to be a Dustin? You got any Dustins in Ireland? Yeah, he's a turkey vulture puppet, actually. <laughs> is that true? Is that really true? <laughs> That's really, he ran for president. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, no, everybody's named, like, Dara or Dr. McGonagall or something like that. But <laughs> no, no, there's no, a turkey you, vulture. You picked the name of one of the most popular children's TV characters who got more votes than some presidential candidates in one election once. Huh. That's pretty so, cool. So, yeah. Yeah, no, run, run with that. He doesn't have sex with any other puppets. That was never part of the whole deal. Never did that. Wasn't there, there was, there was a, a children's television show host. I, I, it was a UK thing, but it might've been in England, not, not Ireland, but, uh, uh, like it, it was this guy and he wore like suspenders. And then it turned out like later, like 20 years after when he was really old and he had retired, like he diddled all the kids on the show. You, you know what that Jimmy is? Saffle? That's yeah, the guy. that guy. <laughs> oh, so yeah, yeah. The darkest tale of British entertainment. So here's a fun story. Um, one of Susan's friends who, uh, she, I mean, you know, born and raised in, in England and she lives in London. And years and years and years ago, before it was revealed that he was a diddler, uh, she dressed up as that guy for Halloween, like just as a fun joke, like, haha, I'm dressed as a children's show host. It'd be like, you know, like Jake dressing as the host of Blue's Clues or something. Um, but then like literally the next year, it was it was revealed that he was a diddler, so she tried to like scrub all these pictures, and then one of her friends signed her up for a like a, a dating thing, like whatever British Tinder is, like what fucking tea time and biscuits, whatever they call it, <laughs> and they put the picture of her dressed as the child molester guy as her profile <laughs> picture. <laughs> Are you sure it was a friend? Yeah. <laughs> Because that Savile shit was pretty dark. That was like serious bad vibes. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a terrible, terrible person. I don't know. I can't wait to see the fucking three-hour film of uh, Jimmy Savile's Dark Night in the Woods. <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen eventually. All right. Uh, <laughs> Jake, last word's yours. Open the gates of hell. Oh, Jimmy Savile, we love him. <laughs> <laughs>